Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome back. It is Wednesday, February the 15th, 2023. I hope that everybody had a fantastic Tuesday, and if you did Valentine's Day stuff, I hope that that went well, too. It is nice to be back with you today, and if for some reason you were not with us yesterday and you haven't seen the, uh, excuse me, let me scoot around here a little bit. If you haven't seen uh, yesterday's devotional, then uh, you'll not know that we started something new, and that something new is the book of Acts. Yesterday, we talked about the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, the how. I think we talked about the how. Um, this is God's word breathed out through Luke, the author, but nevertheless, um, it's not much how needed, though that is a profound and grand mystery. Um, yeah, we, we really kind of focused on the background of Acts, but I didn't go too in-depth because Acts reveals its own purpose as we go along, as any other portion of God's Word does. But yesterday, we really, really, really only made it through the first two verses where we find out who the author is, though the author is not named if you, you know, put on your deer stalker cap, right, and you're Get out your calabash pipe. You don't have to be a, a perfect Sherlock Holmes to figure it out. There's only one other place in the Bible where somebody is writing to Theophilus, and it is Luke's gospel. So we can only deduce that Luke is, in fact, the one that is writing Acts. And besides, in terms of language, in terms of writing style, English, it doesn't really show up. In the Greek, it most definitely does, right? So, nevertheless, we talked about who the author was. We talked about the options even for who Theophilus is. I come down on, on the side that Theophilus is an actual person, probably a wealthy patron of some sort. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we really, there's all sorts of theories out there. There's all sorts of opinions, but we don't really know. Um, but you can almost guarantee this is an individual because Luke is addressed to the most excellent Theophilus, right? Um, there are those that say Theophilus means those beloved of God. Theo means God. Phylus comes from phileo, love, right? Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. But I, I just don't think that that holds water. So we know who wrote it. Um, we know who it was written to. But let's dig in today on really more the purpose behind why Luke is writing and also how things proceed from here. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, all of them in with Jesus ascending back into heaven. Well, Luke picks up an axe right with that same event and what happens immediately after. So let's pray and then we'll dig in. Our Father, please be with us now. Help us to understand that which we read. Help us to appreciate that which we read. That at no time did you leave your people alone just to figure things out, but instead, from the moment that Jesus ascended back into heaven, your people receive instruction. They are put on their way um, for the sake of your kingdom and for their good, and we know that you do the same thing with us today. So please help us to know what you're calling us to do. Help us to appreciate what we can see from history that you have done and let us be about your business. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So let's just pick up in chapter one, verse one again. We only read two verses anyway. But Acts chapter one, beginning in verse one, it is written in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Now, 
that's where we left off. That's the overhead view. Now, Luke is going to zero in on that actual event that he has just named, okay? It says in verse 3, after the suffering, or after his suffering, you know, it, it's interesting, pausing for a second, Luke doesn't call it the crucifixion, um, Luke doesn't call it passionate, nothing like that. Luke calls the cross what it was, and that was suffering, all right? And he just uses that one word to describe what Jesus went to, or went through, and if you had to pick one word, that's a pretty good one to pick, right? So verse 3, after his suffering, and he's talking about Jesus, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, pause right there. This is important. It's important not only because of the eyewitness aspect of Jesus being dead, and then Jesus is alive, right? I mean, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion on earth. Our, our founder is alive. He is alive today. We don't follow some ancient writings of philosophy by someone long dead. We Nothing like that. Our Savior, the central figure of our religion, is alive today. And this ought to be remarkable to us. And not only should it be remarkable that he rose from the dead, you have this period of 40 days where Luke just speaks in generalities. He said, gave them many convincing proofs. If we, if we rewind, you know, we, we covered several very convincing proofs right there at the end of the gospel, according to John. All right, you remember Thomas, you know, put your hands in my side, right, kind of thing. He showed him the, the, the wounds that he had received. He has breakfast with them on the shore, tells them where to catch the fish. And y'all, these are just a few things included. Remember how John ends. Verse 25 of John chapter 21, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that could be written, right? So Jesus did lots of stuff in this 40-day period. Now, what's the significance of 40 days? Don't turn this into something that it's not, right? I mean, you know, 40 days, 40 nights in the ark. You could look at 40 days of fasting. You, you can do all sorts of numerical things, y'all. But really, what I encourage people to do is stay, number one, stay away from numerology, y'all. Stay away from it. A lot of numerology, realize this, a lot of numerology is built on chapter and verse numbers. And I've said this before, while I am very grateful for chapter and verse numbers, right? I mean, they are so helpful in terms of memorizing scripture, in terms of preaching, definitely. I mean, I, I, I would hate to say, all right, turn about, oh, I don't know, 30 inches into John's gospel. I mean, I, they're so helpful. But y'all, they are not inspired. They're really not. They, they, that, that system wasn't even come up with until hundreds of years after the Bible had already been written. Remember, most of the Bible was written on, on skin, okay? And when you're writing on skin, and I don't mean human skin, I mean animal skin, right? Real estate is very important. So there was no nice paragraphs, you know, chapter headings, all that kind of stuff. And remember, too, most of the New Testament especially was written as a letter, do you put chapters and verses in your letters? Boy, I hope not. But nevertheless, nevertheless, stay away from numerology. 
The only time that we dip into really looking at numbers has to do with symbolic language. And most of the time, that, that has to do with end time stuff, right? Where different things are mentioned, like the two witnesses for the three and a half years. And I, but even then, you have to be very careful. So don't turn this 40 days into something that it's not. I'm sure you can find a book written by somebody that the 40 days here equals the amount of years it took to come up with central banking and checkbooks. And so you need to send them money. I, I don't know. I have no clue. Stay away from that garbage. A lot of it is pure garbage, plain and simple. But Luke talks about this 40-day period where it's amazing, not only because Jesus is alive, but he appears for 40 days, 40 days, y'all. And he appears to, to the disciples. He appears to other people. And, and then he gets specific in verse 4. Now, excuse me, before I even get to that, realize what he's talking about. In those 40 days, look at the end of verse 3. It says, and spoke about the kingdom of God. Well, the number one thing that Jesus spoke about was the kingdom of God. More than anything else throughout his ministry, kingdom of God is number one. Hell is number two. Money is number three. And all of those things are wrapped up together. But nevertheless, the idea that we get is that Jesus is speaking to them about the same things that he was teaching them before, but he's revealing more and more. And to that end, verse four, Luke says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And the he again is Jesus, talking about Jesus here, says he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, <clears throat> two key things. Number one, specific instructions for the 11. Why the 11? Because Judas has killed himself at this point. So there's just the 11 disciples left over. They're going to remedy that and they're going to choose a 12th. But nevertheless, it's just the 11. But also, Jesus returns to the promise of the Holy Spirit. John 14, I will pray and ask the Father to send you another counselor. It's coming Sunday. We're talking about what it means, again, that the Holy Spirit is the counselor, right? But all of that aside, this ought to hearken back in our minds all the way to John chapter 20. Um, John chapter, or not John chapter 20, John chapter 1. John 1, says, Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not Christ, nor the Elijah, or nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Verse 26, I baptize with water, John the Baptist replied, but among you stands one who you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, right? And then John would go on and describe Jesus as the one that would baptize with the Holy Spirit. This has been promised all the way from the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. And now we're on the precipice. So Jesus says, all right, go to Jerusalem and wait. And there you will receive the gift. The fascinating thing is it, the disciples, they really have no idea. Jesus breathed on them right at, at the end of John. After they believe, they received the Holy Spirit. But we're talking about a dispensation of the Spirit here. Okay, the gift in, in all of its fullness, a fuller reception of the Holy Spirit, 
that will result in things happening, y'all. Wonderful, beautiful things that we'll talk about when we get to. I don't want to spoil it. But nevertheless, Jesus puts all of this out there to them and says, you're on the precipice. This is about to happen. But here's the interesting thing. The disciples don't really know what Jesus is talking about. So we need to cut them some slack, right? We can read all about the things that were going to happen. We, we have the rest of the book of Acts. This is happening in real time as Luke is telling the story. They don't have the rest of the book of Acts, right? They don't have the New Testament. They don't have all of this teaching that we have. Also, they didn't have the Holy Spirit as we have the Holy Spirit. Not exactly, not at this point. And so you have something going on with the disciples that isn't regulative for us. Our experience with the, with the Spirit is different to a certain extent. I'll get to that when we get to it. I don't want to say more on that right now. But what's fascinating is where their minds went as soon as Jesus started talking about these things. And again, we know that according to verse 3, he was with them for 40 days. We know that he spoke about the kingdom of God. We know that he promised the Holy Spirit and all of the Holy Spirit's fullness, just like God promised, okay? Which, side note, Jesus has got to be God the Son because the Holy Spirit doesn't proceed um, from, from anyone but God the Father and God the Son. That's just how this thing works. But nevertheless, where do the disciples' minds go when Jesus says these things? Verse 6, so... When they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, you may say, okay, what's, what's the big deal about that? Well, if you just take this verse by itself and you don't look at the entire time the disciples were with Jesus, you'll miss something. I remember what the disciples were doing most of the time during Jesus's ministry. Admittedly, John does not bring this out, and it's not because John is trying to deny anything or hide the truth or anything like that. It's just that that wasn't his focus. But if you were to read through the other Gospels, you'd find this constant argument amongst the disciples. Do you remember what they're arguing over? Uh, that, in fact, at one point, a couple of the disciples even brought their mother into it to see if uh, their mother could work something out for them. You know, what the disciples argued over was who would be first when Jesus came into his kingdom. And y'all, they weren't thinking about heaven. They weren't thinking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The disciples really show their hand here. They want to know when Israel is freed from Rome. They want to know when Jesus in all of his fullness shows himself to be the Christ, the conquering general when his kingdom is there, right there amongst them. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This shows us a few things. Number one, it shows us the disciples are still really hung up on this. Number two, it shows us a strand of uh, a streak of selfishness that is rolling through them, that they are looking for reward, and there's nothing wrong with wanting our heavenly reward. We should look forward to it. Jesus tells us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, right? Nothing wrong with that, but they're not thinking about heaven. No, they're thinking about right then and there, and they're thinking about political deliverance. Same thing they've been arguing about all along. And this shows us that the disciples really don't understand yet. They will, 
And when they understand, it will be when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, right? And I don't want to give anything away, but when they receive the Holy Spirit and all of the Spirit's fullness, an end is put to this discussion on Israel triumphing over Rome. An end is put to this idea of receiving reward right then, right there of an earthly variety. You know, you have to wonder, you know, Jesus was so patient, so patient. But I think, you know, when Hebrews talks about he was tempted in every way that we're tempted yet was without sin, so he can have compassion on us, he can sympathize with us. One source of temptation for Jesus had to be frustration from his disciples. My goodness, how many times did he say, oh, you have little faith, or you still do not understand? Here, it seems they still do not understand. They just don't get it. Instead of focusing on the ultimate reward of Christianity, much like Jacob and Esau, they're ready to trade their birthright. But unlike Esau, there's no malice here. And we need to be careful and we need to cut them some slack because really and truly, they just don't get it. But they will. I'm not excusing this, and I'm not excusing their fights in the past over who would be first. Obviously, that's wrong. However, y'all, they just didn't know. And when they do know, and when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, that's when you see them kick into action. Now, Jesus doesn't go down any road with them about lack of belief or, or how they're focused on the wrong thing. No, no, no. Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. You know, Jesus' response to this line of reasoning with the disciples was not one of rebuke or anything like that. Instead, his response was wait. Wait on the Spirit, and then you'll get it. Well, y'all, again, there are things going on here that apply to the disciples that are different than, than us, right? Jesus is talking about the fullness of the gift that was coming, okay? Realize that we receive the Holy Spirit in full when we place our faith in Christ. So there's a different dynamic here. But what is the same as this calling to wait? The disciples didn't understand very clearly. They wanted to know what to do. They wanted to know what was going to happen. So in that aspect, we can very much relate to them. How often are things taking place in life that we don't understand? We want to have all the answers. We want to know what's going to happen. We want to know where we fit into it. We want to know what to do when it gets there. We, we want to know. And yet, God's response to us is the same that Jesus' response was to the disciples. Wait on the Holy Spirit. When you couple that idea of waiting for the Holy Spirit with Romans chapter 14, for instance, when we're told that each person must be convinced in his or her own mind of what God wants them to do. And if you just blaze forward without any regard for God, it's Romans 14, 23, I believe, the one who doubts sins. If you couple that with the calling for us to wait on the Lord, to wait to trust, to be still and know that he is God. When you put all of these things together, 
how this very much applies to us is that as we go through life, when there are questions, when we don't know what to do, we turn to the Lord and we wait for him to show us what we're to do. And y'all, that may seem so infuriating and frustrating and all of these things. You know, we don't have the disciples' real reaction here to this. We just have what Jesus said to them. But I'm sure when, when they're talking about, hey, is now the time when Israel is going to get their power back? Jesus starts talking about them going to places like Judea, which is cool for them. But Samaria? Oh, these are the same disciples. They're like, what you doing talking to that woman, Jesus? She's a Samaritan. Don't you know that? And Jesus challenges them. And the challenge is to wait. I, I don't know what you're facing right now. I don't know what choices you have. I don't know if you're facing dire circumstances. I don't know if you're concerned over the future. I don't know. But I do know this. The requirement, <clears throat> the calling, the best piece of advice even, what makes the most sense is to be calm and as much as that is possible to be still, to listen, to go to God's word, to pray. And the Holy Spirit's going to show you what to do. If indeed you have the Spirit, if you're a follower of Christ, if you don't follow Jesus, if you never place your trust in him, you don't have the Holy Spirit. That's your first step. Turn to Jesus. But if you've done that, wait on the Spirit. Now, tomorrow we will pick up with what happens after this. In fact, verse 9, after he said this, dot, dot, dot. That's where we'll pick up tomorrow. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us, and I praise you for all the ways that you have worked. Help us to be patient. Help us to intently wait on you, understanding that power comes from you and you alone by your Holy Spirit. Help us to trust. And if there's any that do not know you, well, please get hold of them. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Let's see here. I see Rose. Good morning. And there's Becky and Alice. Good morning. And Christine and the other Becky. Yeah, it's a rainy day out there. And then there's Elizabeth and Denise. And there's Roberta. Thank you all so much. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow morning at 7 until then, have a very happy Wednesday.